with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of Phronesis. We are continuing this series. I have my co-host, Jonathan Reams. We're talking about a book that he edited called Maturing Leadership, this intersection between adult development and leadership. And today, our guest is Dr. Aidan Harney. He is the former director of continuing professional development for Engineers Ireland, the professional body for engineers and technicians in Ireland. And he currently holds a leadership development role for the Greater Europe Region with Intel Corporation, where he is responsible for crafting more effective strategic and systematic approaches to the selection, assessment, and development of senior leadership and their successors. Uh, Aiden, we are so thankful that you are here with us today. We are excited for the conversation. What else do listeners need to know about you before we jump into to the heart of our dialogue, sir? No, I think you've given me a very nice intro there, Scott. It's it's always nice when you get your mother to to write your introduction, right? It's it's, it's so glowing. <laughs> He's a very good boy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I guess it's great just to be here with you, Scott. Uh, having listened back over, you know, the great podcast series, and uh, and I know Jonathan through a really nice encounter some years ago. So I'm just you know, delighted to be here and excited to chat with both of you. Well, so you have written this chapter in the book that was edited by Jonathan. And Jonathan, I'm going to turn it over to you. I know you have some questions that you are itching to get to. 
That is correct, Scott. So <laughs> just as a way of context for the audience, I was in London at the European Society for Research in Adult Development Conference in 2018, sitting around and waiting for the next presenter. And Aiden got up on stage and started talking. And the more I listened, the more I got curious because he's using this word and I'm not quite sure what it is. Conation. Did I get it right? What does it mean? How do I piece together from what he's saying what it means so I don't sound totally unintelligent about it? That really drove a kind of relationship of learning more about that, looking at Aiden's PhD and inviting him to contribute a chapter to the book. Before we jump into the conation topic, Aiden, you want to tell us a little bit about the background of your work at Intel. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jonathan. I guess I've been at Intel now for about nine years, and it really is interesting. I know it's on the way to Ohio, Scott, we were just saying. And, uh, you know, it's one of the most fascinating places on the planet still 54 years later. What I love about Intel is that essence of the early core values from the founding fathers and mothers. It's, we still really feel it, you know, everybody's expected to, on the one hand, deliver great results. And everybody's expected to be innovating on their moonshot, doing something that's fearless in terms of innovation. It's definitely a great place to work, very energizing place to work. And I've had a number of roles there, Jonathan, working with great leaders and great teams. But whether it's at a, a country level or a regional level or a business unit level, really what we're about is looking at the strategy and saying, OK, over the next couple of years, where do we need leadership capabilities and what's the leadership capacity that we need? engineer by training are you an engineer sir no i'm not an engineer scott but that's okay. really really fascinating I, I do feel like an engineer because <laughs> most of my career prior to intel i worked with a number of roles in engineers ireland which again is just a great community of innovation and connection and there i was director of their continuing professional development so my background is you know education leadership uh, learning and development but what we designed and deployed was a, a beautiful government backed scheme Huh. Where we got to imagine this for 10 years, Scott and John, got to go into really innovative engineering organizations, codify and document what was so good about their leadership, their learning, and their OD practices, and then port that to organizations that wanted to get better. Wow. And sometimes with really radical results. So those 10 years for me were hugely formative in terms of my personal and professional development. But what I began to notice because I got so close to these C-suite leaders and engineers deliver some amazing mega projects. So again, when I think back to it, you know, you're talking airlines, hospitals, bridges, the Olympics, because a lot of Irish engineers go international. Yes. What, what was it that these quite exceptional leaders were doing differently in these highly complex, dynamic mega projects compared to leaders who are sort of doing okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a, a burning curiosity, Scott, as a non-engineer, as somebody who was steeped in engineering. And then, of course, I, I arrived at Intel, and we have, you know, mega fabs, uh, seriously high volume production using some of the greatest nanotechnology in the world, and a real passion for caring for Mother Earth. And I was like, okay, he, you know, here's just another example of these exceptionally exquisite leaders. What's going on? How, how are they delivering that? that? That's what got me on this quest and started me into period of full-time work, part-time PhD, but but I'm still alive. 
<laughs> we all know and we are drill. thankful for that sir <laughs> i just i want to make a slight small detour just listening to what you said aiden because my impression was that ireland really was not in a good shape not that long ago and is this part of the kind of strategic investment to really build up the economy in ireland yeah exactly jonathan so I think it, it predated that. There were some amazing people at Engineers Ireland who sort of, you know, had the foresight to say, if we can tap into largely these amazing American multinationals and sort of glide on the coattails of their best practices, imagine what could happen with the indigenous Irish engineering organizations. Now, it just so happened when I was there, Jonathan, that the economy tanked, absolutely crashed. But that's where we were able to see these organizations who could strategically deploy the power of leadership and learning to get through a period like that versus organizations who weren't equipped to do that at all. So you're absolutely right, Jonathan. It really came into its own 2008, 2009, and, and the decade after that. That is a transition, I think, because what I've learned and understand now about Conation, it has a lot to do with the will to action. So could you maybe now introduce Conation as a construct, and then why you chose it as a research topic. Yes, definitely. And I guess we can dig into it. You can guide me to what degree we want to dig into it, Jonathan. But what I noticed with, with these amazing engineering leaders deploying mega projects in highly complex environments was one, yes, they were brilliant and bright in terms of their cognitive ability, that part of the mind. Two, Yes, they were great people people. They had the social and emotional maturity and the relating of it, of course. But thirdly, there was something else going on. And it was around, when I, particularly when I got my arms around the literature, I spotted it was a real aha moment for me. There was this other piece, um, and the literature calls it conation, as you know. It's largely omitted from the literature. But when I spotted it, it's this other piece of how do leaders set goals and how do they pursue those goals, the actual nature of how they pursue those goals? And then finally, as they're doing that, how are they constantly growing and learning, reflecting? Mm. So ironically, in the Western scholarly work, conation is quite omitted. But what I found, particularly through the great guidance of my, my uh, supervisors, when you go to Eastern literature, it's absolutely core and central to leadership. And mm. I often quote that tome, um, by Yuval Harari, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Sapiens. So, you know, everything, human history and how we arrived and how we got to work. But the last couple of sentences, the real question he says facing us as humankind is not what do we want to become, but what do we want to want? So we're, we're, we're goal-driven, forward-driven human beings and conation being so omitted, it's, it's a huge part of the jigsaw that, that we sometimes leave out when we think about leadership. So this drove you then to to want to study this in the context of these leaders who were doing exceptional work. Uh, how how did you get access? How did you formulate you know kind of scoping out how to actually do good research on this? Yeah, great question. So I guess it might be worth digging into just the definition of conation a little bit more, Jonathan. So that uh, I know, and I've tried to describe it to my many nephews and nieces and my brothers, they go, no, st still don't get it, still don't get it. So before, before we go to the research piece, based on experience, I'm, I'm going to step us through the three components of Conation. And, and the first one, as I mentioned, is that goal-oriented piece. So it's really, you know, some, very often overlooked because we are all so goal-oriented 
but it's really that ability to think about what are intentionally is the direction that I want to invest my energy in. Mm. And, you know, we, we very often don't stop and think like that, but these exquisite leaders tend to do that. And like it or not, we've all got a goal. Uh, as somebody said to me once, even a Buddhist monk who's striving to have no desires or wants or needs in life, that's, that's a goal. Yeah. So, so we, we just can't get away from that fact. But because it's ever-present, we tend to overlook it. So I argue very powerfully that our goal orientation has a huge impact uh, on, on our outcomes, ultimately. Uh, the, the second piece is just the perseverance, the mental toughness, the hardiness with which we pursue those goals, particularly when it comes to ambiguous environments. And that becomes a huge differentiator for leaders, mm. the, the ambiguous, highly dynamic environments. And the third part is just that ability to, as you work through you know, a, a challenging goal and pursuing that challenging goal, what degree can you practice the third part, which is the ability to stand back and reflect on, on how you're doing, uh, particularly the impact journey is having on you, on others, and ultimately on society, which comes back to touching off that topic, Jonathan and Scott, of the, the moral element of connection. It's very connected to ethical and moral, moral considerations. Hmm. I'm reading, you know, you you mentioned the book by uh, Harari, and I just finished 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Just a quick side plug, incredible book, fascinating read. But I'm reading a book by Ray Dalio right now, who was the founder of Bridgewater. And mm. so much of his practices of developing these principles of how the world works and how management works and how investment works and how countries and economic institutions work, um, I'm making a connection in my own mind to his process. As he's trying to figure out these puzzles, he's constantly trying to identify principles and reflecting and staying in it. And entering these very gnarly spaces and trying to figure them out and trying to identify principles and reflecting in action, right, to to make sense of what's happening. Is that yeah. dancing around some of this? No, that's that's hitting the nail on the head, Scott, because for me, that's what the moral conation piece is about. As a leader, have you got the, what I call the moral fortitude mm. or the moral fiber? You can, we, we get that from common sense language. You know, have you got the moral fiber to enter into... Uh, two things you might remember before Twitter, we had dialogue and we had debate, right? Remember those things? <laughs> Being able to enter into those realms and examine those issues and those ethics and those values and, and come away from something that seemed intractable, Scott, as you said, but actually have a much deeper understanding of how we can make progress. And that isn't through just you know reasoning cognitively and it isn't through wonderful social and emotional relations, although they're part of it. It's also, I think, this connection piece, this moral fiber to go into those environments and continue to pursue them to to a, a, an outcome that allows all of us flourish, I guess. Wonderful. So, so you mentioned perseverance, too, and that stood out for me. And in relation to that, you talked about perseverance in the face of ambiguity. And right away, what comes to mind for me, how did you conceptualize or what did you find out about either through literature review or your research about different levels of conation or conative intelligence? Uh, fabulous, Jonathan. So I think th this element of conative intelligence is probably something that really comes on stream as a higher order ability at what 
academics might call the post-conventional uh, leadership tier or what common sense people might, you know, sort of say, you know, it's just an exceptional leader and it's standing North Star, somebody who we all aspire to be and, and, and somebody who has that, that range. But what the literature says is that there are broadly three levels and we could call it, you know, in, in terms of the literature, you've got the formal level, then the more systematic level, and then the more meta-systematic level. Uh, connected to your, your your ambiguity question, Jonathan. Uh, and I think really, you know, understanding the literature and understanding those different levels, yes, my, my key question came to be between leaders operating in these highly complex dynamic environments, delivering results that are fruitful for them, their organizations and society, compared to some other leaders who are operating well, but tend to struggle when it came to highly ambiguous environments. What, what was their lived experience of this? So I really entered into it, you know, as a process of discovery and the application of, you know, good adult development theory was re really helped me in terms of triangulating an understanding of those leaders and where they were at and what they were experiencing. Mm. So that process of finding those leaders, Jonathan, was really interesting. Thankfully, having worked with Engineers Ireland, I had access to this, you know, just unrivaled uh, group of C-suite leaders. So one in terms of purposive sampling, I was able to assess those leaders, look at their annual reports, look at the results, but more broadly, see how, how had they got recognition from a really diverse range of stakeholders across society, not just one segment, but how had they be recognized, written about, potentially rewarded? And so that made them quite exceptional in terms of their achievements. Two, Jonathan, I just I got all of them to take at least one, and in some cases, two sentence completion tests. So then I had, you know, really good estimation of where they were and the third part of that triangulation was the discovery work that i i used the same method at master's level and so at phd level again it was just the really detailed content analysis not only of what they were saying but the sort of sub layers and the context of how they were saying it and the context in which they were saying it so that led me to be able to identify borrowing from yeah eigel and kunart's leadership development levels okay who was leadership development level four, say broadly, those self-authoring leaders or achiever leaders, and who was leadership development level, LDL level five, those post-conventional or, or strategist leaders. And I had interviewed all of them. So then I was able to compare, gosh, what's the lived experience of both of these groupings of LDL four and LDL five leaders? And yeah, that led to some really fascinating results, John. Share some of those results then. Now we're curious to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of left us on a cliff there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there might be three. As I, I've described it and as I've worked it real time as a sort of pracademic with, with leaders in industry and, and through coaching outside of my work at Intel, I think it's really three things that have come up for me if I summarize the differences between these LDL4 leaders and LDL5 leaders. And the first one is around what we talked about, which is the motivation piece. And the difference in motivation was really interesting in that LDL4 leaders tend to have a very clear purpose that they're wedded to. And it serves them incredibly well. Very often what I found was they described it as a purpose in life. And I call that out because it has a, a really strong sort of emotional, almost semi-religious overtone to it that this is my purpose in life. And, and we all know that, that that can serve a leader incredibly well particularly in competitive environments, even, you know, some athletes I interviewed competing with myself, business people, you know, uh, it's got a real binary nature to it, you know, winners, 
losers, bigger, smaller, faster, slower, all of that. And, and what I call the purpose trap was the really interesting thing that happens between those who can sort of get out of that orbit at LDL4 and let themselves rise into LDL5, where at LDL5, it's less driven and so wedged that, that purpose. When things change or the dynamics shift or there's a whole series of polarities that rise up, being so wedged to that purpose doesn't allow me the flexibility and the spaciousness to handle that. Mm. But at LDL5, leaders much more described by term a quest-based leadership philosophy. So I'm on this journey. I might hold my purpose or my purpose in life quite lightly. You know, I used to be really wedded to it. Now I hold it lightly. Uh, and as I move along, I've got some values that are really important to me. But I'm really, really focused on this big word, Jonathan Scott, which is my intentionality. Because I need to be really, you know, when I evaluate my environment, there's me as a leader, but I've also got followership and I've also got the environment and I've also got chance and luck as well as strategy. So when I put all of that into the mix as an LDL5 leader, I'm holding purpose lightly. I've got values that guide me, but I've got a real strong intentionality to life. And that intentionality has a certain flavor to it, which you can talk a little bit about as well. Hmm. Just an observation, listening to that distinction, uh, I get the feeling also that there's probably a sense of dialogue or dialectic with life, that you're looking for signs and purposes revealing itself in ever unfolding ways. Well, and and Jonathan, to that point there, I mean, if, if you explore some of Dalio's work, it's really interesting because he'll say, you know what, I'm, I've developed this way of thinking, but I am now going to stress test that thinking with the world's best leaders, put it in the center of the table, knock down, drag out, discuss, see if it is in fact, you know, it holds. And he's very open to that. He's very open to the quest of truth quote unquote versus it being him that is the the founder of it so to speak <laughs> Scott, i love that so i love that so please don't edit it out because <laughs> the the flavor of the intentionality at ldl5 was this sort of unfurling of a really radical and extreme curiosity yes so jonathan as my amazing editor for the anthology knows this it's their meaning making structure of these ldl5 leaders is a quest for finding differences and divergence, a quest for actually just opening up to wider interests and that discovery piece that you mentioned, Scott, and then a quest to tap back into a whole constellation of amazing others, not just those I've been learning from, others to really see, is there another way to lead in this environment? And what, what's my quest calling for now? So I, I love this stitch you put in there, Scott, so so hopefully we don't lose it in the end. <laughs> okay, I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in. Well, and, and that, you know, you have a, a nice table here in the chapter, Aiden, and that describes the conative intelligence component quite well. But you also talk about conative complexity and conative capability. Could you say a little bit more about those and how you notice distinctions between the different leaders? Yeah, well, we might take those two others and unpack them. So I, I've really focused there on that sort of motivation that comes on stream. So the motivation becomes a motivation of curiosity and real intentionality about growth and learning. The, I guess the other two parts, Jonathan, that, that volition piece or that ability to pursue that we mentioned, the real market difference 
between those LDL4 leaders who are, you know, amazing, but those LDL5 leaders who can sustain greatness in high complexity. It actually ironically becomes their ability to uh, know when to engage in goal disengagement, or as some of them said to me, sort of optimal quitting. So this is the big, interesting difference in terms of the perseverance. They develop a new kind of tenacity and the tenacity to know when to detach from something mm-hmm. that you're passionate about. Well, and this seems to me very much what we were just discussing around intention and in relation to purpose. It's like you're listening for cues from the universe of when you need to reconsider or change tack in some way. Absolutely. And great stories from leaders. One amazing Spanish boss of an incredible alternative energy organization um, who I still am in touch with. You know, share this really rich example of how she's engaged. Predominantly, her organization was engaged in, in uh, South America and, and still a, still is to a hugely successful degree. But that ability, Jonathan, to pursue a certain, again, piece of technology that seemed like a great product and seemed like it was going to be their sort of blockbuster product. But as they got to know their customers and as they leaned in and learned more about the market, there came a really interesting point for her as the boss of this organization where she had to say, guys, as we've learned, I think we need to learn to pull back and disinvest from this. And actually what we're learning is this market is far more orientated towards this kind of alternative energy. That, you know, and, and now, of course, everyone's talking about this and it's coming to fruition. But this is you know, five to 10 years ago in terms of my research. So just a great example of a leader who can be passionately detached to the degree that she can course correct and bring her, her organization and her people with her. And again, the, the outcome of that, Jonathan, in terms of cognitive intelligence is ultimately the best result for the organization and very much the best result for the society that that organization is embedded in, in, in Spain and in South America. Aiden, there's a mindset there. Again, what was the phrasing you used? Was it passionately detached? Mm. Again, there's a mindset of where, where, where it's the quest that is the ultimate objective that we are trying to to capture versus my doing so or me or i it's that the puzzle that's fascinating and driving that purpose i just love it i love it that relates a little bit to some of you know what we see in other parts of the book in terms of how people are studying leaders making this transition to this much more meta-systematic or post-conventional phase. And I was thinking of uh, David Day's work around leader identity. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big fundamental part of this shift too, because at LDL4, the leader identity is more of something that people are embedded within almost. They're really that purpose, that identity is how they, their North Star, how they guide themselves in the world, as where this transition seems to indicate the ability to be more fluid, dynamic, flexible, to not be embedded in a fixed identity, but have a more creative sense of unfolding identity in relation to a larger context and sense of purpose in the world. And then to turn around and maybe the cognitive piece is to then be in, act in service of that. Yeah, I love that, Jonathan. And act in service of it. And also maybe the third major finding from my uh, research is this, how does the re- 
flexibility piece change between LDL4 and LDL5. And I think what you're both alluding to really very starkly and quite profoundly, and it still sort of lives with me today, that the greatest difference between LDL4 and LDL5 I found from leaders is talking to them that very often an LDL5 leader reflecting back on how they led at LDL4, the amount of times that they related that as they strove to be you know, number one market leader or to, you know, kill off the competition or to be hugely successful or whatever it might be. A lot of that was grounded in a sort of sense of fear that they may not have been able to tap into at LDL4, but rising up or dropping down to LDL5, they they were able to see it with a different perspective. And I would say one of the greatest themes of my work with those senior leaders was actually their, their sort of reflection whether it was leaders from financial services or engineering or retail or, or even academia, that they wish they had led with less fear and more intentionality during their quest, wow. which I think is a really profound and fascinating finding. Yeah. And as I was listening to that, I also wondered, is part of their reflection that they became more aware of their own shadows and took those into account or even leaned into trying to learn from them as were at, at level four, they're kind of trying to hold them off and be afraid of them. I think so, Jonathan, because I think the curiosity that they open up to obviously has got to be a much deeper, deeper curiosity about their own leadership identity. And again, you know, the phrase always sticks to me, one leader who said, you know, I, I, I was striving for about eight years to get our organization to number one. And you know what happened when we got to number one? The fear increased even more because then <laughs> what was going to happen that we get toppled off number one and be back at number two or three or four in the market. So I think it's that ability to be curious about all those other elements of life and leadership we mentioned, but definitely, Jonathan, to go deep and think about, you know, what is the core of my leadership identity? And, and what, again, back to the first part of Conation, what motivation is truly driving that? And again, it's some great coaching discussions with leaders where I've gotten to is that although we tag fear or feel fear as an emotion, I, I think fear is much more truly, and we never or rarely think about it like this, I think fear is much more truly a motivation. That, you know, it's a desire to be successful. It's a desire to be, you know, the best. It's a desire to be. And that motivation actually drives a funny kind of dynamic that if we can, you know, step back from that and have a broader intentionality about how we're growing others, how we're allowing society to flourish, how we're doing something that's great for our stakeholders, but also great for the club, that kind of thing, then just just broadens out the, the sort of force field, I say, that's around the leader. And it becomes one that isn't motivated by fear, but one that's motivated by, you know, far more fruitful things, principally curiosity, as I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I remember curiosity was one of the things that really kind of emerged from your findings. And um, it's interesting because some work that I've been doing lately is looking at the relationship between fear and curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of what you just said in relation to, because I use uh, Igel and Kuhner's book in the leadership courses I teach, and the, the phrase to lean into the challenge as a a way to accelerate or address development. So if I hear you right, you're reframing fear as something from something to avoid to something to lean into and be curious about and learn from. Mm. 
Very definitely. I think for me, the curiosity piece in terms of practicalities, you know, we, we've constructed a lovely little workshop that, that we tend to embed in a lot of the leadership development that we do. And at the heart of that is, what can you do to augment your level of curiosity? Because that's going to open doors all over the place. And, you know, many leaders I work with, we begin a conversation and, uh, yeah, they feel that they're wildly curious beings and that's gotten them to where they are today. But then when we look at, okay, what are your routines? What's your weekend like? Uh, what are your meeting practices like? Uh, you know, what music do you listen to? What books do you read or not read? And suddenly, gosh, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of curiosity that I haven't opened up to yet. And, and I think that really is allowing them to move away from, again, this idea of I get them to write down if possible. This is my purpose in life that has served me well to date. Now, I, can, I have that and I can place it down very gently and safely there. But then I get them to ask trusted others, typically their spouse, their loved ones, this purpose in life, do you think this is what the current quest I'm on is still calling from me? Or do you think there's more spaciousness? I'm curious to learn, is there more that I've been called to do as a leader aside from this purpose in life that I attached to some time ago? And, and that tends to open up some really interesting conversations. And then I ask them to just go get curious. Think about the food you eat. Think mm. about the travel you do. Think about do you turn left or right when you leave the house to go for a walk. And it's, so it just starts building that, that part of the mind. You've talked a little bit now, Aidan, about you know what you've learned from the research. And, and you're tapping now into how have you been applying that? Do you have a simple model you use with leaders uh, in coaching? You know, How do you work with this now that you've done all this work and have all this in your toolkit, so to speak? I think it's so I think it's those sort of using those elements of the buffet and applying them where, where we can in different ways. So again, it's if we think about the whole different elements of cognitive capability that connect together, it's one really tuning into your value set. So thinking again about your, your values afresh. But what I really ask leaders to do is think about your values, not so much as really tight knit values, but more sort of things that can sit at ends of, of poles and polarities. And this is the channel that you can navigate within. This is the sort of locus of concern that you can you can broaden yourself out to. And again, that's sort of the, the first part. It's just really thinking about your intentionality. And where I find that really useful, Scott and Jonathan, particularly for engineering leaders, which is sort of my world, is if you're working on a mega project, all those elements that we mentioned, the hospital, the motorway, the airline, the national broadband, whatever it might be, the impact you're delivering has got to be broad and vast across society. So your your range of your values and the, and the way you experience them and think about that has got to be equally broad and equally able to move along those poles appropriately, depending on the situation you find yourself in and, and where you want to move to in that range. So that tends to be the first place I start, Jonathan, getting leaders back again to think really deeply about the the values, but the expansiveness of the values that's driving their intentionality. So as you're describing that, I can just imagine in some of the scope of projects you've kind of alluded to throughout the conversation, that to lead successfully in the adaptive challenges that those situations bring, leaders would need to have some both knowledge about, but genuine interest in and empathy for different stakeholder needs, different concerns, different constituents, and so it sounds like that broadening is really helpful for them in being able to show up 
in all these different areas they need to. Well, and, and we've used some words that I just absolutely love in this conversation. And I mean, as we begin to kind of wind down our time, you know, just the word intentionality. And Goldman had a wonderful metaphor in an article he wrote. This is a Harvard Business Review article. It might have been, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago. But I think it was called Leadership That Gets Results. But it was that golf bag metaphor where uh, here I am on the course. Am I intentionally choosing a tool and, and, and using it? right? And depending on the level we're at or depending on the situation we're in, here's the tool. And I'm, I'm, I'm being intentional about how I show up. And then that, that curiosity, that just fundamental belief and understanding that I can't possibly see it all. I don't have all of the expertise. Uh, going back to Dalio, Dalio he, calls it, he calls it radically open-minded, that I might be missing something, that I might not see something, that that's a possibility, a very real possibility. So that curiosity and that, and Worgen would call it humble curiosity. You're confident, but you're also humble about it, right? Well, or Edgar Schein's humble inquiry, accessing your ignorance. Yes. And I find that that's a very helpful thing for leaders to say, you don't have to be attached to this identity that you need to know all the time. Yeah. If you can also tap into the integrity of your unknowingness, this is a very different place. And I think some of the things you've talked about, Aiden, have really tapped into that kind of quality of beingness that these leaders seem to anchor themselves in. Well, and, and Aiden, you've really helped me better. Maybe I was just ready to hear it this morning. I don't know. But you've helped me better construct in my own mind what that LDL5 or what, you know, Keegan's stage five would look like in an individual. You've helped me begin to parse that out a little more clearly, which I really, really appreciate because you know how the conversation goes. We get through the first four and then it's like, and then there's five, which is a whole nother <laughs> level. And we don't really know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan, you might disagree. You might disagree with me, Jonathan. I don't know. <laughs> he's for listeners. He's nodding like he does disagree with me a little bit. <laughs> and, and and Scott and Jonathan, I know we're winding down, but I'm going to add to the really good track on curiosity. Then, because conation then drives leaders to to do something with that, to make a decision, to take some action, to try and experiment. So again, I think the the other thing we can leave listeners with is use that curiosity and then have the courage to try something, you know, mm. the, the practice or the praxis piece. In other words, I'm, I'm finding wisdom in the doing and then hopefully I'm, when I come back to doing, I'm doing it from wisdom. So for me, I think I would put a cap in it that clinician should push right through to something that I think is critical for leaders, then make a decision, try it, experiment, learn, loop back again. Yep. And, and this sounds like the perseverance and even the moral fiber because you're not always sure that you're doing the right thing when you're experimenting on the edge and you're listening for clues. What is the universe feeding back to you? How can you course correct and persevere through the setbacks? That's because we're on a quest, Jonathan, rather than there's a beautifully predefined purpose in life that, that travels with me through the entire span of my adulthood. That's unlikely, I think. And and I think that requires some unlearning on the on the part of how people construct the role of leaders or leadership. 
am I the person who elevates the right questions for us to explore, for us to really inquire on and have that difficult conversation versus am I the person who has all the answers, right? And, And sometimes it could be that, but sometimes it's, am I emerging the right questions for the group to work, right? Well, and I think something that this touches on that I think, Aiden, your explanation of LDL5 that Scott alluded to helps unpack for for me as well and for listeners. But what we're trying to do is understand what are the models for meeting the highly complex challenges and demands that leaders are faced with today. And there needs to be almost a deconstruction of the models and the sense of identity And that's part of this transition from LDL four to five is you really have to lose yourself and Mm. having the connation to push through and persevere with that deconstruction of a sense of self, all the things that made you successful suddenly fall by the wayside to a degree. And as you're called to the next level in the quest, you got to reinvent yourself. And that is work that requires perseverance. And loss. And and, and, and I know we're trying to wind down. Scott. We are, but it keeps going. It's awesome. But there's, but there's fear in that. There's fear in what you're letting go of. There's loss in hmm. what you're letting go of. There's, I mean, it can be a scary, dark and gray wilderness, right? Yeah. And so what did you hear interviewing these leaders about this transition, about what helped them in that journey? Well, I, I think that's a great question to finish on, Jonathan, because my research, to be uh, very transparent, was comparing the marked differences between the lived experience of LDL4 and LDL5 leaders. I think the next part of my research is a question really about, you know, what is it that enables that transition? Yes. What, 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 is, what is the fuel for that transition? What, what allows you to get through that scary piece that Scott's mentioning? but also the magic of opening up to that curiosity. What is it that, and I think it's that journey along that uh, trajectory that's, you know, again, poses lots and lots of questions that we'd have to spend 45 more minutes teasing out together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then I can say one of the other conversations we had in this series actually focuses on that transition. So we will, in the whole spectrum of things, we will touch on all these and it would be lovely to get everybody together to have a really big group conversation but maybe that's a whole other series scott (laughs) well aiden i i so appreciate when i am having a conversation i know jonathan feels the same way with an individual who you use the term pracademic i hold that in incredibly high esteem an individual who is steeped in the literature and steeped in organizational life, close to the work and watching this play out. I just, I want to say thank you. I have great respect for what you're doing because it's not just some thought experiment. You're living it, you're seeing it, you're breathing it. And I think it's such an incredibly valuable perspective to have at the conversation. And so thank you for your work. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Scott and Jonathan. Great to see you again. I really enjoyed that chat and I look forward to the next time we get to have lunch or brunch face-to-face, Jonathan. Before we go, what have you been listening to, streaming? What's caught your attention recently? It could have something to do with what we've discussed. It could have nothing to do with what we've discussed, but what's caught your eye recently? 
Well, I think two things interesting. I have in front of me, but I'm only on page 52, but it's a cracker so far. The latest book from Jennifer Garvey Berger and Carolyn Coughlin, Unleash Your Complexity Genius, Growing Your Inner Capacity to Lead. Yes. If it's anything like Jennifer's other literature, it's you know going to be a corker. And, and by, by page 52, I've already got two major insights. I actually wrote her an email yesterday to say that. So <laughs> I highly recommend that. And you know the other thing I, I did recently, Scott and Jonathan, almost by accident, I think it's from 1971, the Marvin Gaye album, What's Going On. Oh. Uh, it, just, it just came on my Spotify list. But if you listen back to that album, and the sentiment and the lyrics in it, and then com- and then placed in the year 2022, I had a slightly out of body experience listening to the lyrics and the topics he's bringing up, and the and some of the difficulties pointing to from 1971. I just you know 40 years later, it's still so relevant. So if you're a music fan, go back and put that on. Okay. Okay. Very well, cool. thank you. Well, thank you. Well, Jonathan, hope you have this. For me, it was the start of my day. So this was a great way to start my day. For for the two of you, it's kind of midday. Jonathan, are you still holding down the fort in Norway? I'm holding down the fort in Norway. We're still okay. here. <laughs> okay. Well, Aiden, Jonathan, thank you so much for the conversation today. Be well to the two of you. And for listeners, as always, thanks for checking in. Bye-bye. Okay, Jonathan, the fun conversation with Aiden. We have called this episode Passionately Detached Curiosity. It makes me think of the phrase individualists unite <laughs> that's right and and i think you really highlight there's this kind of paradox or even polarity if we look back to the episode with chuck and john and this is what caught my attention is that aiden brought out something about the paradoxical nature of this quality of curiosity that really emerged from his research that there's something totally engaged and non-attached. So I've, you know, the word detachment has been part of my own practice. And I've tried to describe it to people as well. It doesn't mean you're like running away to the cave and disengaging. No, you're being fully engaged, but also have one foot out of it. Mm. So you're in the world, but not of it in a sense. And I think that's what Aiden was capturing there in a way. Well, and it has a word that I just love that we've talked a little bit about in some of our debriefs, the curiosity, right? As a leader, am I constantly, because I think, and you had turned me onto this book, which was leadership and self-deception. I think sometimes it's very easy for us to externalize the failure, externalize the setback, externalize what's not going well as others' problems. Well, what do we own? And if we're passionately detached and we're curious, that can keep us in that one foot in, one foot out space, maybe. Yeah. I was looking at my notes here around the conversation, and I was thinking back to the one with Marianne where the complexity of the context for her of growing up in the apartheid transition and Aiden talking about studying innovation and leadership on mega engineering projects, Mm. how much complexity goes into these hundred billion dollar projects. It's enormous. And to be able to study that, I think was a really rich context for developing his capacity to really engage this well. And I thought it was really interesting that the notion of conation is really central to leadership in Eastern literature. Mm. 
Not so much in Western, because I'd never heard the term. When I heard him on stage talking about his dissertation, I had to listen. Did I hear that right? What is that word? (laughs) And then I learned, you know, it's about being goal-oriented and perseverance in the face of ambiguity and then having reflection. And that it was so important to emphasize the moral element of carnation, the notion of moral fiber. Mm. And then his research really brought out, you know, what are these developmental differences between level four and level five leaders? The notion of the perseverance through fear and loss of identity when you're moving into this leadership development level five. The reflexivity changes at level five that these leaders wanted to lead with less fear. And I think part of this is the letting go of a deep attachment to identity and holding that more lightly allowed them to have less fear. And then seeing their whole life purpose as a quest to hold it lighter and really bringing this notion of intentionality into it. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this now, this radical and extreme curiosity as motivation. And then acting in service of purpose and how this leads to an expansiveness of values and that there is wisdom in the doing. Mm. I love that phrasing, wisdom in the doing, right? Well, and this is one of my my favorite conversations in that, like Marianne, he is in, in organizations doing the work, like Father David that we spoke with last week, in the organization doing the work a a practitioner scholar and i just love those dialogues i really do so much fun okay sir thank you so much be well and we will talk again next week we will you have just finished another episode of practical wisdom for leaders with scott allen to contact me visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.